Craig is going to bring the word from Isaiah 49 as Thursday's email informed us, but let's read that together now. This is the holy word of God. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Judah and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves before the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Thank you, Pastor Rob. Good morning, everyone. Um, like I was introduced, that was a great introduction. Thank you. Um, my name is Craig Schultz. Um, our family has been in Kenya for the past three years. Um, a little correction, we were there in 2018 is when we started, summer of 2018. Um, our, our location, like Pastor Rob was talking about, it was in a remote spot. God taking us to that place was something that was not of us. Um, I don't want you to think of us as something different um, than where you are right now. And the reason is because we are broken people that are not perfect. We are broken people that have a message to be able to share with other people. And so my encouragement to you is as we get into God's word and as we listen to what he's going to tell us, not to think of reasons why not, or why you shouldn't do it, is the questions of, why shouldn't I be doing this? Like, there's no reason beyond this. Every one of us finds ourselves under this umbrella of God's commandment. And so as we get into Isaiah, it's, it's an interesting uh, kind of great commission passage but as we get into this word, I, I, as you look into even the Old Testament, a place that most people don't go and look for the Great Commission, you'll find this precious thing. And I found it as I was studying this deeper and deeper, and I found there is just this treasure of God's heart. And if we are followers of Christ, we are to align ourselves to God's heart. And so I hope that today as you as we look at this, you have a moment of choice, of realigning, or encouragement to continue on in what you're doing, to align yourself with God's heart. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can get together. 
that we can learn from your word. Lord, we pray that as we look into your word that you would open our eyes to be able to see your heart. Lord, I pray for courage for us as we look into it for decisions that we, that we might make today that as we see that we are living, we are supposed to be living for you and like you. Lord, if we are not, Lord, give us the courage to be able to turn and to follow you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I, I have a story to tell you. This was a story that, um, as when I was a young boy, uh, probably early high school, something like that, this story rocked me. My whole world as a young boy was sports, and this guy was a sports guy, and I said, great, he's a sports guy, and he's a Christian, I'm going to read his biography. And I read it, and it was the start of this thing that started moving within me. This guy's name is C.T. Studd. Um, he was born in 1860, a long time ago. He was born to a wealthy British family. They got their money from India. And as he grew up, he became this world-class cricket player. Two years in a row, he was named the best cricket player in the world. He was a celebrity. He was a sports celebrity. He even, for the Cambridge Cricket Club, which is who he played for, he even brought home this coveted cup, or this coveted, it's called the, um, let, me, let me get the name right, the Ashes Urn, which is basically this joke between uh, Australia and the UK, but basically he accomplished this competition that the UK was better than Australia in, in, this, in this sport. Now, he was the height of attention at that time, the very top of the sports world, especially within England and within some parts of Europe. And he went with one of his brothers to go listen to a gentleman whose name was Dwight L. Moody, who came to be, just share God's word. And as he listened to this man, his heart changed. And his whole world began to shift, and his father was there with them, and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. C.T. Studd did not do that. His father opened up, up his home to preachers and different people that would come and share inside of their home, and as C.T. was sitting there, there was one preacher who came and pointed to him and said, have you made the decision to follow Christ? And that day, he accepted Jesus Christ as, as the one who took his penalty of sin and, and transformed his life. And the Holy Spirit grew him in the Word. And as he grew, he started to see God's heart for the nations. And God called him to a place way on the other side of the world in China. And he joined with um, China Inland Mission that was there and, and, and worked some incredible things, planting churches, became a part of the culture, learned the language, all those different things. Found a wife, had kids, and God called them back to the UK and went around preaching and then went to another place in India, the exact place where his father had become so wealthy, he was preaching the word of God. 
So he was planting churches in India at that time, going around, and God called him back for health, going back to the UK. And then he heard that there were people who had never heard the gospel in the middle of Africa. And he decided just because of the dangers and all these different things that he was going to go and was going to start planting churches, left his family, left his kids. For 11 years, he didn't see his wife because he was ministering in the middle of Africa. And South Sudan, all, all over into Congo area, was preaching the word and planting churches all along the way. So I tell you this story, one, because it's incredible, but two, why would a man who had everything that this world could offer, fame, money, physical attributes, that he, that he was the top of his sport, why would a man leave this pedestal, leave this place, to go serve people in another country that are forgotten? Or people in another country that are so fallen apart because they don't have the gospel, why would he leave such a perfect place to go there? And I hope as today as we get into God's word that there's something that stirs within you to align yourself with God's heart as we discover that a little bit. As we read before, Isaiah 49, it, it, it begins with this passage that says, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Now I need to pause there for a second because much, much of the time in the Old Testament, there's a lot of setup, a lot of context that needs to be brought into this, into this thing. So the book of Isaiah, if you haven't studied it, has 66 chapters. 39 of those chapters, the first whole sections, a lot of it is all about the disparity and, and, and this uh, trial and different ways that God is actually punishing the people of Israel. And as you move into the second part of, of Isaiah, the last 27 chapters, we start moving into this hope. Now it's woven in, between, in, in the middle of those first chapters, but at the end, the 27 chapters are pointing to this hope for the nation of Israel. And chapter 49 finds itself in that second part, in that last 27 chapters of, of focusing on this hope that is coming. And, and within there, there's these different, what, what theologians call now these songs, the servant songs. And we see this glimpse of someone who's going to be coming. Now we know, as, as you read the rest of scripture, we know who that someone is. We know that Jesus Christ is, has come and he has fulfilled the Old Testament, has fulfilled the promises and different things about this coming Messiah. But these servant songs, we get a glimpse, an even closer look. And in chapter 49, we actually get to have a, see a conversation going on between that Messiah and his father. So listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. Now Israel had a civil war going on here, or had one in the past, and it split the nation into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And so these coastlands, what had, what had happened was the nation of Assyria had come in and, and basically torn apart the northern kingdom. 
They've been spread out, and, and they're, they're all in different areas. And so when, when Isaiah is saying, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention to you peoples from afar, when he's, when he's writing these things or saying these things, it's calling to those people on the edges, on the fringes, saying, listen. Halfway between Isaiah's ministry, the northern kingdom... Like I said, Assyria had come through. But now as, as, as Isaiah's ministry was coming to an end, which was happening in the future, there was another nation that was rising up as well. And if you look into Isaiah and other chapters like that, you'll see this nation of Babylon that's going to be coming in. And so there's another punishment that's coming, and, and you'll see that in the first chapters of Isaiah as well. But this other nation that's coming that is also going to take over, and after Isaiah is actually sawed in half for his ministry, that nation of Babylon comes in and ravages Israel. So this is a call to the far-out peoples who have overcome by foreigners. In the previous chapter, only flipping back a little bit or maybe not even flipping back the pages, God had called out and said the nation of Israel was stubborn. He had spoken of their stubbornness in in chapter 48, verses 17 through 18. And then he said there is no peace. Right at the end of the previous chapter, he said there is no peace for the wicked. And this is all the setup for what we're going to see in chapter 49. It's an echo of what God is telling the nation of Israel back in chapter 45 of Israel, of of Isaiah, that says, turn to me and be saved. So, let's look at this cool conversation that is happening in the Old Testament that we get a glimpse through the prophet Isaiah. The second part of verse 1 says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named me. Now, the nation of Israel was also mentioned in a similar way previously in Isaiah, in chapter 44. But now we see a little bit of a twist. It says, The Lord called me from the womb. This is someone different. This is not the nation of Israel, and we're going to see even more evidence of this as we go through, that this is someone different than the nation of Israel who is going to actually be the better Israel. As we look through the servant songs, as we go through Isaiah, we see that this better Israel is actually going to be the one that is going to fulfill all the different things that God had called Israel to be. Now, we know because of Scripture, looking ahead into the New Testament, we know this person is Jesus, the Messiah. In Luke, it says that even this this is true of of what Isaiah is saying, that he was named even in his mother's womb. Luke 1, verse 30 through 33, it talks about how Gabriel came and talked to Mary and said, his name shall be Jesus. Or Emmanuel, as another book says. So we see this fulfillment happening in Jesus' life. Now verse 2, and says, And made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadows of his hand he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quivers he hid me away. Even more 
This is Jesus himself. He made his mouth like a sharp sword, the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17, as, as, as we look into that, is the word of God. As we go into um, John, he says that he is the living word. It also says that he is the word at the very beginning. Jesus himself is this message, this fulfillment of what the Israel was supposed to be. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is a two-edged sword. Jesus himself, from his mouth, will come a two-edged sword. In the book of Revelation, we see that's true as well. That's going to rule the nations. So Jesus is stepping in now and saying, I am the true Israel. I am the one who is going to be fulfilling all the things that Israel was stubborn and was not going to turn. Jesus is going to be that. In the shadow of his hand, he hid, he hid me, made me as a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. We see that God protected Jesus multiple times as he was young and as he was walking into his ministry. We also see that God was the one who was with him all the way through. That as he sought out his father over and over through prayer and, and through strength and through the word as he was preaching, he was with him. He covered him. Verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. What Israel could not do, Jesus was. Jesus was working for the glory of the Father. Verse 4 says, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord, my recompense is with my God. In the NIV it says, what is due to me is in the Lord's hands, my reward is with my God. We see some humanity here within Jesus. That as he is toiling and pushing and working and going towards this thing that God the Father has given, the work that he has asked him to do, we see that there is Conflict that happened. We get a glimpse into humanity, and as if you study God's word and, and look into the humanity of Jesus Christ, whew, it is something to wrestle with. But we can see a little bit of frustration, some weariness. He was tired, and we see this even in his life as he was serving on this earth. We see that. Um, he called these, these people that were supposed to be leading the church or leading the, the temple at the time, not the church yet, <laughs> leading the temple, and they were leading all these people into different places and were running into these people and called them whitewashed tombs because they were dead, but they looked nice on the outside. He ran into different things where he was a had a woman brought to him because she had 
had adultery, and these religious leaders were trying to trap him over and over and over again, and there was rebellion, and there was turn away from the message of Jesus Christ. We saw that even in his love for Zacchaeus, he was chastised for what he had done. We know that his healing of lepers was a big no-no within that time. He was not even supposed to go near them. He would become unclean if he went near them. And this ministry that he had just ran in conflict over and over and over again with the religious leaders of that time and with the nation of Israel. And as he ran into these different things, we can see this this toil, this, this work that he is going through I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense is with my God. So my question to you is, as you are working for the Lord, where are you turning? We see an example here of toil and toil and toil and and working for the Lord. And where does he turn? He turns to the Father. And we're going to go through hard stuff in this life. We've already gone through hard stuff in this life. And as we walk through these together, our attention, our dependence, our what is due to us, our reward is in the Father. And we can turn to him and we can go before him. Through the work of Jesus Christ, he is, we are allowed to come before the throne of grace and be able to lay things before God himself. So if you're walking through hard stuff right now, turn to the Father. He's there for you. Verse 5, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, And that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. Now, verse 6, he says, and we're talking about, this is the Father speaking now. The Lord, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. We are getting a glimpse into the heart of God. As we look at this passage, this is the Father speaking to the Son, saying, It is too light a thing for you only to go to the nation of Israel. My message, my salvation is for the world. This is God's heart. Pastor Rob talked about at the very beginning in, in the introduction how my wife and I were, were kind of directed towards missions at a younger age. For me, it was right when I left for college and I went to a conference and at this conference there was a guy who was standing in the front and I was just getting free food because I was in college and it was for high schoolers. And so As I stood in the back and listened to this guy talking, his message was this. Not Isaiah 49 necessarily, but God's heart was for the nations. It rocked me. 
And as we go through the rest of this message, a lot of this is very similar message of what that man stood in the front and said, and it completely turned my world upside down because I got to see God's heart. And when you get a glimpse of God's heart, you start running. So I pray that today as we look into the, into the rest of Scripture, as we, as we dig and we dig and we look into God's Word for the rest of our time, that you begin to see God's heart. And His heart is not only for you, for your family, for this church, for this city, for the country, for, it is for the world. That every single person comes before Him to know Him. So we're going to take a little trip through the Old Testament, and I'm going to give you glimpses as we go through of God's heart being shown all throughout the Old Testament, and as we reach into the New Testament, just beginning to touch the edge of of what the New Testament has to show, I hope that you can see God's heart through all of this. At the very beginning, Genesis 1.28, God told people to be... Be multiply themselves and to fill the earth. Supposed to go all throughout the world. And so one, at the very beginning, from the very beginning, God said, go all the way throughout the world. Genesis 9, 1 and 7, it says, God's words were for, for Noah when he got off the ark. It says, be fruitful and again, multiply, fill the earth and rule over it. Genesis 11, 7 through 9, God scrambles the languages across the whole earth. Again, the whole earth, it's spreading, it's spreading, it's spreading. As people were trying to come together into one place, he's saying, no, spread throughout the whole world. Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God chooses Abraham to create a nation to be blessed so that they would be a blessing to the world. And from this, we see this promise repeated over and over again through the Old Testament. We see it passed to Isaac. We see it passed to Jacob. We see those promises that God is going to make this nation great. And why is he going to make this nation great? He's going to bless them to be a blessing. And that was the problem with Israel. They were receiving blessing, but at the same time, they were turning inward. And for us, that's a very easy thing to do. As we receive the blessings that God has poured upon us, it's very easy for us to take them and turn inward. Whether it be a body within this church, and we think, how can we better our body? How can we better our body? If that's your only focus, you've lost the heart of God. God's heart is for the nations. So when God blesses you or God blesses this church, your mind should be, okay, great, thank you, Lord. How can I bless Because God blesses in order for us to be a blessing. And the nation of Israel had forgotten that. God also blesses them by being an example for other nations, by giving them the Ten Commandments and giving them other laws to live by. We see it as as David defeats the Philistines. um, We see that the glory is to God over and over and over again. As, as these people get this view of how great God is, they're like, whoa, how great God is. But then as time goes along inward, it becomes self-centered. 
God draws the nations to listen to Solomon just by giving him wisdom. God's heart is for the nations to be able to know the wisdom that he has as well. Over 500 times the word nation is used in the Old Testament. If you don't think that God cares about the nations, you've missed it. God's heart is for the nations to know him and even better to know his salvation. As we look into the New Testament, it says, My house is a house of prayer. This is Jesus talking for all the nations. All the nations to come and to worship him. The gospel will be preached to all the world and, and, and then the end will come. The gospel that is, as we look in this, we see is Jesus Christ himself and what he has done for us is supposed to go out to all of the world. There are right now about a quarter of the world that has never heard the gospel or have very little access to be able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. If God's heart is for the nations to be able to know him and to believe and to, to have that relationship with him to save them from salvation, but also to live in, in a redeemed, transformed life right now, then our heart needs to be with the nations too. God has given us many blessings here. How can we be a blessing? And then as we go through the rest of the New Testament, I just kind of summed it up that it's in, in the book of Acts. It goes on through the New Testament that God's word is spreading throughout all the nations. God's heart is for all the nations. We see in verse 7, it says, Thus says the Lord, back in Isaiah 49, The Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of others, kings shall rise Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. There are kings, there are nations that have risen into power and into, into influence and different things within our culture here in America as well as other places in the world Every one of those high up people that seem to be so untouchable, God says they're going to bow before me. Across the globe, the whole world, every single leader, every single head of nation is going to come before God and bow their knee. God's heart is for the nations. If you are working in a place where you are working with high up people, Big people that are up on a pedestal, have them turn now. Give them the gospel now so that they can bow their knee before the Lord before they're forced to in the end. So God's plan is for all nations, all tongues, all people groups to come before him and to worship the Lamb. We see that in Revelation where they're all around the throne and all different nations are coming before and worshiping him. That's God's plan. So, what is this thing that we're supposed to be sharing? If God has invited us to be a part of this, and 
or God's heart is for the nations and we want to align ourselves with God's heart, then what are we aligning ourselves with? And this is something that is your source. As you step into your work, as you step into, um, into your schools, as, as for my family in a month from now, as we fly across the ocean to another country, this is what we stand on. When hard times come, we come back to this. What is this light or this salvation from verse 6? What is it to go, what is it that's supposed to go to the ends of the ends of the earth? And you can find it specifically when you look into Romans. There's quite a few scriptures up here, I think, in, yep, from Romans. But all through scripture we see the gospel of Jesus Christ is what is going to be carried with you that is transforming lives and turning people back to him. In Romans 3.23, it talks about every single one of us finds ourselves on an equal playing field. Every one of us has sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin that has, fallen, that has put us on an even playing field, whether you are the person that's preaching every day in, on a TV or whether you're a person that is just a baby Christian, just learning about Christ or if you've never known Christ, your baseline is that we are sinners. We don't deserve to go to heaven. We don't deserve to spend eternity with God. That's the baseline. And from that place, we begin to, to see that it's even worse. The wages of be, having, being a sinner is that we are supposed to have death. That we are supposed to be eternally separated. I don't know if you've noticed this, but every single one of you in this room is an eternal being. You will last forever, but where you're going to last forever matters. You will either last forever in damnation, separated from God, or you're going to be in his presence worshiping him. Those are the two choices, and we make that choice here in this life. And that while we were in that state, Christ died for us. Romans 5.8 tells us that, that while we were in this terrible place, we were actually working against God, he came and died for us. God sent his son for those who believe to receive eternal life. We know in John 3.16 that his heart for us is he sent his son for us to die on our behalf, to pay for that sin debt that we had that we deserved. And our righteousness is based on our faith. And that all we need to do, like it was said actually in our prayer this morning, is to confess and believe. That's it. Jesus Christ has done the work. And that's the message that we are taking with us. Whether it be in your workplace, whether it be into other countries, that is the message that you are carrying with you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So what's our role? If that's the message... What are we going to do? As people that are aligning ourselves with God's heart, and this is the message that we're carrying with us, the torch has been handed off to us. In Isaiah 49, it said, It is too light a thing for this just to go to the nation of Israel. It's supposed to go to the world. And we know in, in 
what is known as what we look at as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing the name baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The torch has been handed off to us. Jesus Christ fulfilled that place, that perfect Israel, and now as he was going off into ascension, he says back to his followers and says, Now you go to all the nations with this message of the gospel. It is too small a thing, it is too light a thing for you to keep this gospel to yourself. It is too light a thing for you to keep this gospel within your family unit. It is too light a thing for you to keep this gospel within this church. It is too light a thing for you to keep it within this state, this country. It is too light a thing for the gospel of Jesus Christ to have boundaries outside of the entire world. It is too light a thing. So my question to you is, what is God commissioning you now? If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ... You fall under this umbrella that Jesus Christ said to to the believers. He said, go. Spread this gospel through the whole world. Every single one who says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, falls under this commission. How are you taking part in this? Just like it was in my own life, there might be some people here that God is stirring and saying, yes, I'm the one who's supposed to go. And I pray that you would just dive into God's word. The rest of that story after that weekend, for a whole week, I could not sleep. I called my father, who at that time was a pastor, and (laughs) he told me, no, don't drop out of school yet. Just stay in school, like, this is crazy that your life is changing in one weekend. And in one week, I couldn't sleep hardly at all. I called him back and, I, and he said, well, it sounds like God's leading you. I dropped out of school and went to Bible school and went on the path of heading to missions. If God is calling you to the mission field, then say yes. Take the steps that it takes, but dive into God's word and talk to him about it. Get your source first before you start running. If God is not stirring that within you, then how can you join in to what God is doing across the world? How can you join in to the gospel spreading throughout, outside of these walls, outside of your home, and across the world to the other side? To people that there are billions of people that don't have access to the word of God, have never heard the gospel. How are you going to be a part of that? How are you going to spread God's word across the nations? These are questions I can't answer for you, but like I said towards the beginning of, as we were reading through Isaiah 49, we have access to go before the throne of grace. 
And I don't have an answer for your life on how you're going to part yourself with the Great Commission and what God has told every one of us, but I challenge you to come before the throne of grace and ask, God, what would you have me do? How can I join in with your heart for the nations? And the next step is to have the courage to say yes. So as we close our message today, I wanted to read one last thing that came from C.T. Studd. It's, it's a little bit of a long one, so you just bear with the, the length. But try and focus on the words. That same man that left his high worldly place and went off into missions. This is what he wrote about his life. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleading for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life for brief, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, filling, living for self or in his will. That's the choice. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep, in joy or sorrow, thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love for, with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And Isaiah 49, 6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Father, I thank you for your word. We thank you for the foundation that we can stand on, that is your gospel. Lord, we thank you for this commission, this charge that you have given everyone who follows after Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for this. But Lord, open our eyes. 
Open our eyes to see how we can join in with what your word has commissioned us. Father, if there is anyone in this room who has not had that salvation moment as they hear the gospel today, that this is something that will transform them, Lord, I pray that you would stir in their hearts that today would be the day that they come before you. And they follow after you and are eternally changed. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the charge to go. We pray for the courage to do so. In Jesus' name, amen.